Well, I asked Al yesterday on the phone, I said, I'm going to introduce you this morning, and basically he said, uh, short is better. So um, he was gracious enough to step up when uh, Doug Inberg, who, by the way, will be here in January, he was doing a, a thing on TV. You remember the Amazing Race on TV? Well, they're doing it for Christian couples, and Doug and his wife are involved in that, so you st- should see that on TV. But he blew out his Achilles tendon when he got out of the car. So I la- after I was done laughing at him, he's down for six weeks. He had surgery, and uh, we communicated last night. So pray for Doug. He's, he's really struggling. He's older than me, so that's probably why it happened. But he'll be with us in January. But Al, I appreciate you so much stepping up. Al and I, the only relationship we had prior to today where we were linked in together on the Internet, and we're Facebook friends, so go figure. I reached out, and he was gracious enough to say yes. So you guys are in for a treat. Al's got a great story. Al Cat. Gentlemen, what an honor it is to be here. I, I actually go to uh, Calvary Chapel, and uh, one of the things I love to do is I go to Every now and then, I'll go to different churches around the, uh, around the uh, area. I'll just pop in by myself and just sit in the back and, and that type of stuff. So um, I've got a lot of friends that go here, and they've always said, you got to come to Harborside. you got to check this out. you got to, you know, you know, see what we do. And I've been a few times, and I'm highly impressed. You guys really have, really have a wonderful fellowship. And Tim, of course, is very nice, asking me to pinch hit. Um, there's some pretty good pinch hitters out there in this world. And so I'll try to do my best for you today. But Tim and Ron were also very cool in sending me emails promoting my talk today. And my favorite was the one that I received a few days ago. And trying to get everybody pumped up to come and see me talk. And, but I have to be real here. It, uh, well, <clears throat> it called me Tampa Bay's legendary sports director, which is very nice, but... Let's get real here. Um, (laughs) Called me a walking, talking sports encyclopedia. Again, very flattering, but uh, that really means nothing. It was the top of the email that really got me. Harborside Men's Breakfast. This Saturday, lots of bacon. (laughs) I'd even come hear my talk for lots of bacon. I don't normally quote Louis C.K., but Louis C.K. says, when you have bacon in your mouth, it doesn't matter who's president. (laughs) Jim Gaffigan says, want to know how good bacon is? To improve other food, they wrap it in bacon. (laughs) And And this is true. There's even a bacon quotes website where you can buy a t-shirt that says, either you love bacon or you're wrong. (laughs) So I'm not saying whether or not I spent the 22 bucks to buy that t-shirt, but that's there for yourself. So put away your smartphones. I don't want to see anyone ordering this while I'm here talking. The number 11 Florida Gators play Missouri today. Looking to stay undefeated. Okay. How about Jim McElwain? He's done a pretty good job. Done a pretty good job. Number 12 Florida State takes on Miami. Always one of the great Rivalry games in college football, always a great game. The Bucks are home for Jacksonville. 
<laughs> Silence. The Bucks are one and three. Jacksonville's one and three. You can make up your own joke from there and, and go from there. You know, over the years, I literally covered every Bucks game for like 24 years, home and away. Went to every single game. And one of my favorite quotes, one of the favorite lines I got, I mean, you want a difficult job. Going to a losing locker room week after week after week and trying to get decent quotes from these guys. Well, the best quote I ever got from a Bucks player was this young wide receiver. And I asked him what he liked about playing for Tony Dungy. And he said, quote, Tony treats us like men. He lets us wear earrings. <laughs> okay. Former Rays manager Lou Pinella was always a great quote. He once told me, you know, statistics, they're like bikinis. They show a lot, but they don't show everything. And my favorite was a college football coach who shall remain nameless. He's still, actually, he does TV now. And you may not want this one out there, but he once told me after a tough loss, he said, you can sum this game up in two words. You never know. <laughs> so, again, for those of you that may not be familiar with me, my name's Al Keck. I've done TV and radio sports around the country for more than 30 years and more than 20 years here in the Tampa Bay area. But I got caught up in that economic mess five, six years ago. Um, I was in my mid-50s, making too much money, so they put me out the pasture. Now, I promised them that I would never turn 55 again, but they still pulled the trigger on that. But I had an incredible career, covered Super Bowls, Olympic Games, World Series, NBA Finals, Stanley Cup Finals, uh, All-Star Games, the perfect career for the biggest sports fan out there, Final Fours. Uh, oh my gosh, I was blessed and able to cover a lot of stuff. So when I'm lucky enough to share my story, I love speaking to churches. And I divide this into three categories. Family, forgiveness, and first base. Now, I'll start with this incredible study at Princeton University. Maybe you've heard this, but it's, it's worth repeating. And it's important for all of us to hear this. The study looks at two men, Jonathan Edwards and Max Jukes. Have you guys heard this story? Okay, good. Um, Edwards was highly successful. He eventually became the college president at Princeton. Highly respected, strong man of God. Edwards believed that the key to any family was spending time with his kids. And he had 11 of them. So he made that number one priority in his life, that every day he would spend quality time with his kids. And the premise being that in this study, they discovered that the type of father that you are, whether you're a good father or bad father, goes down five generations. So what you're doing today as a father is not only going to affect your kids, but kids on down the line. Well, anyway, the researchers found that Edwards had some 1,400 descendants. And so they went and they looked at these descendants and they looked what they did and they you know, discovered some amazing things. Out of those 1,400 descendants came 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 doctors, 75 army and naval officers, 100 missionaries, 60 authors, three United States senators, and a vice president. Incredible. Add it all up, 
That is more than one-third of his descendants. Absolutely incredible. Now, as for Max Jukes, he was a contemporary of Edwards, but he was a drunk, never had a steady job. He would disappear for days, spent very little time with his family. Well, Princeton also chartered and looked at his descendants. And he had right around 540, and they found that 310 died penniless, 150 were criminals, seven were convicted murderers, more than 100 had issues with alcohol, and half of his female descendants were prostitutes. Two families, five generations. Our positive and negative actions filter down to our kids and beyond. I get emotional because I'm going to tell you my story. Some of you may know parts of it, but you're not going to know everything. It's a lesson I had to learn firsthand. I have a person in my life that I care very deeply for. She's an incredible mom. Four kids, mid-20s, to a junior in high school. All four kids have very different and varying interests. And all their interests are her interests. She's done that. Now, this is a woman that's rebuilding her life from a divorce. She works. She goes to school full-time. She runs her home. She's busy 24-7. But she makes it her number one priority to be in her kids' lives. One lives in California. uh, One lives in New York. One lives in Tallahassee. One at home. She makes it a point to know their schedules. At any given time, on any given day, she knows exactly where they're supposed to be or what they're doing and and that kind of stuff. And and I've told this story several, several different times, especially to men. And men look at me, and they've got that same look on their face. A lot of you guys have this look on your face as I tell this. And your look is saying, well, she should do that. She's their mother. Well, guess what, guys? We're expected to do the same thing as a father. Doesn't God make it very clear in Scripture that fathers are to be the spiritual CEOs of our families? I mean, name a CEO that doesn't know the absolute intricate details of his company And if he doesn't know that, he's going to be an unemployed CEO. But hey, I'm as guilty of this as anybody. I mean, I missed homecoming and prom pictures and recitals and concerts. And my wife would say, listen, (laughs) you know when the bucks work out every day. You know what time they work out. You know where they work out. You know what time they arrive at one buck place. You know when the Rays are supposed to be there for batting practice. You know when the Rays are available for interviews. You know when the manager speaks. You know blah, 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 blah. You know these guys where they park. You know their cars. You know all this stuff. But you can't figure out important times in your kids' lives. She had me. She nailed me. Jonathan Edwards had it right. More than anything, the most precious commodity that we as fathers can give our kids and our family is time. Uninterrupted time. No checking the cell phone, no taking calls, no emails, no texting. Or as my kids would say to me, hey, Dad, can we hang? Can we just hang? I have a daughter in her 30s, two kids in their 20s. They still love to hang with their old man. It wasn't all that way, always that way. I had to learn the hard way. I was married 19 years to my best friend. After a while, we started to drift away. I didn't know why. I mean, we both made mistakes. 
But my biggest mistake was I put my career above her. Now, I thought I could justify it. I mean, I'm just providing for my wife and my kids, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe I didn't make sure we had a family vacation that year, but you know what? I got a big bonus, you know? Maybe I didn't do this, but you know what? I got, we were able to build a new kitchen, you know? I thought it was justifying it, but it was really just a lame excuse. As a husband, I found at that time, I needed four things in my life, really, to what I thought could survive. In no particular order. I needed food, needed money, needed intimacy, and the scariest one of all, I needed to be right. I needed to be right with my boss. I needed right to be I needed to be right with my friends, with my coworkers, and unfortunately with my kids and my wife. It cost me. My wife and I drifted apart. And I thought I could treat that relationship like that class in college to where you didn't study for as long, you know, as often as you should, and you thought you could just kind of throw it all in an all-night cram session and everything would be fine. But relationships just don't work like that. I stopped giving her time. I knew she had some issues. I tried to help, but since I was so inconsistent with giving her my time, she kind of kept me at arm's length. I understand. Then I found out she had done some things that I just couldn't forgive. I had to be right. We were eventually separated. During the separation, I basically ignored her. I wouldn't take her calls, her emails. I mean, why should I? I was right. We hadn't talked in a few months, and I dropped my son off at home after a Little League game. On my way back to work, she called me out of the blue. Again, we hadn't talked for about three or four months. She asked me why we didn't talk anymore. And I went through my reasons. Again, it had to be right. And quite honestly, it was a thing to where I, I hate bickering. You know, there are too many times when, you know, in a marriage when you actually have to discuss really tough issues and it's going to be difficult. You know, save it for that, but I hate bickering. Can't stand it. I told her that, and I could see that this conversation was going that way. So I hung up. She tried to call back. I refused to answer. Just a little bit after that, I got a call from the station. And the station said, Al, your wife called. Your son is hurt, and she's taken him to the hospital. I thought, I just dropped him off. How could he be hurt? And I thought, well, maybe he fell in the shower. Maybe he hit his head. You know, so... I sprint home. I tried to call her on the, road, on the phone. She wouldn't answer. And I get home. Her car's in the driveway. I go into my son's room, and he's in, he's in bed. And he was sleeping. And I said, my man, are you okay? He goes, yeah, why? I said, mom called the station saying, you got hurt, and she was taking, her, she was taking you to the, to the hospital. He said, dad, I'm fine. I took a shower. I'm absolutely fine. So I walked out of his room, and I'm going to walk back to my car. And I wasn't within 50 feet of her. And I did say, don't put our kids in a situation like that again. I mean, my kids were right there. Don't put, her, don't put them between us. So I go back to work, and right before the 11 o'clock news, I get a call from the Pinellas County Sheriff's. And they say, listen, after the news, can you stop by? 
because we want to get your side of things on what happened tonight. I'm going, what are you talking about? My wife lied to me about my son being hurt, and that was it. I left. But I said, we want to talk to you. So I thought, okay. I didn't do anything wrong. I was right. Well, after the news, I go to the Pinellas County Sheriff's. And right before I walk in, thank goodness I did this, I call my attorney and said, listen, this is what's happened. The sheriff's want to talk to me. I'm walking in right now. He says, do not go in there. Do not go in there. I said, why? I don't have anything to hide. I don't want this to bubble over until tomorrow. You know, I'll, I'll go in and talk to him. I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I was right. So I go in, answer the sheriff's questions. Our stories matched up. Except for one thing. She had scrapes on her arm. Showed them to the police. And they asked me about it. I said, I don't know. I never touched. I wasn't within 50 feet of her. Well, they arrested me that second on domestic violence. Total lie. I couldn't believe that the woman that I had loved so much and I was so close to could betray me in that way. It was one of the biggest betrayals that I could possibly Imagine. So I spent the night in jail. I was stunned. Thank goodness when the police called my wife and said, we've taken Mr. Keck into custody. She said, why'd you do that? You wouldn't touch me. I lied to you. I put the scrapes on my arms. I did it. Well, between my wife recanting and my attorney, they got me out of jail the next day. But not before the story was in the paper. Front page, St. Pete Times. Front page, Tampa Tribune. Wasn't true. And the headline said I was arrested for domestic violence. Of course, at the bottom of the story, it says that Mrs. Keck recanted her story and admitted that she lied. But that wasn't in the headline. I know the media. I know how the media does things. I, I was the media. Never charged. Never spoke to police again. The arrest was expunged from my record, but it's still on the internet. And that affects me every day of my life. I couldn't forgive her. If I didn't talk to her before, I'm sure not going to talk to her now, because again, I was right. Do you know what she told officers when they asked her why she had lied? She said, she wanted to get my attention. She just wanted my time. I had known that my wife had battled depression. I'd been involved in treatment for a lot of years, but not now. She had pulled me away from that, and quite honestly, at that point, I didn't know if I wanted to be involved in that. Over the next year and a half, the divorce continued. I was with my kids as much as possible, but I could see it was definitely affecting them. She asked for, for my forgiveness, and I was nice, and I was polite, and I was businesslike, and I never yelled, I never screamed, I never did any of that kind of stuff, but I could not forgive. I didn't have it in my heart. I knew I had to at some time, but I thought, I'll do that on down the road. Well, before down the road came, one day I got a call from one of her friends said that my wife was missing. They, no one had had contact with her for three days. The next day I got a call, 
that she'd taken her life. I've been through enough counseling to know I didn't pull that trigger. But I live with this thought every day of my life. What if? What if I had forgiven her? I mean, really forgiven her the way God asks us to forgive. I called myself a Christian. But in that moment, I was far from that because I didn't forgive. But what if I had? Put the marriage aside. That's a whole different discussion. What if I'd been there more? What if I hadn't been so caught up in my career? What if I made more time for family vacations? What if I talked to her no matter how uncomfortable it was for me, if it made her feel better? What if I had done that? What if I'd not gotten to bed mad? Obviously, I'll never know. And more importantly, my kids will never know. My kids no longer have their mom or stepmom for graduations and school concerts and basketball games and weddings, promotions at work, birthdays, holidays, grandkids, or simply to hang. Learn from my mistakes, guys. You see my tears. I st- this is 10 years ago. See my tears. You can feel the heart in my voice. I want you to remember this tonight. I want you to remember this when you're with your family. Don't be right. Don't be right. Be there. Be there. Be there to be the spiritual CEO that God demands in Scripture. Again, it's been 10 years. Now I'm a father and a mother my three kids one is 34 the other two are in their mid-20s but as many of you older fathers know your kids need you as much now as they ever have even at this advanced age and do you know what they tell me on a regular basis they tell me they like me more now than before and I said wait a second How can you like me more now? I don't have the career I had. I can't get you into big games or concerts or uh, Christmas is not what it was before and birthdays aren't what they were before and all that kind of stuff. I can't take us on big vacations and and that kind of stuff. I can't do those things. And make it very clear. Even when I have trouble paying my electric bill. And at 61, I've had to rebuild my life again. How could they possibly like me more? And they say, I may not have a lot to give, but I give them my time. I know their schedules. I know my son when he has class. I know when my son has to go to work. I know when my daughter, you know, has a big business meeting. I know what her boss's name is. I know when her boss frustrates her. My oldest daughter, I know when she makes a doctor's appointment for my grandson. I know when my son-in-law is not feeling well. My kids tell me when they go out to dinner and what they have. The information just comes flowing out. Because they know I'm there. I have a daughter in Philadelphia. I have a son going to college in Indiana. I have a daughter in Missoula, Montana. And every day, I'm talking every day, and they don't miss, I get a call every day 
for my kids. Most days it's calls and multiple texts. And they aren't calls like, Dad, just checking in. These are calls like, hey, Dad, I need some advice. Hey, Dad, this happened to me today at work. Hey, Dad, what would you do? When they were younger, my kids would see that I would try my best to make it a priority, spending quiet time every day with my Bible. And I was fairly consistent, go to church on a couple times a week. And they, they knew that I needed that in my life, and they knew that I loved that. I didn't make a big deal out of it, but it was just my way of following Jesus. Could I have been better at it? Yeah, absolutely. And there are times when I need to be better at it today. But they could see what my intentions were. And they observed this. And they had seen firsthand how my faith has really gotten me through some very difficult times. Well, now my kids send me scripture during the day. My kids would say, hey, Dad, you know, I was reading 1 Corinthians and I saw this and... Hey, Dad, I I know Hebrews 11 is your favorite chapter in the Bible. And blank. My kids are sending me scripture. My kids know their father. And as a father, I know my kids. Could I be better? Again, yeah. I need to improve. And my kids aren't bashful about telling me when I need to improve. But they have my time. I have their back. And for the most part... We are very transparent with each other. And I dearly love the adults that my kids have become. And I enjoy the relationship that I have. But what I would give for their mom to see what kind of adults they are. So have things turned out better for me? Yeah, right now. Yeah. And that way in that relationship with my kids. My kids are thriving. But what it took to get there, not worth it. Take it from me, not worth it. So gentlemen, don't be right. Be there. So we've got family, we've got forgiveness, forgiveness, and now first base. I want to share a story about Bobby Bowden. Doug, you're the biggest Florida State fan out there. My first day on the job as a sportscaster in Tampa, Florida, I walk in the station. I walk in the newsroom, and they see me, and they immediately hand me a plane ticket. This is back in 1988. And they said, Al, Florida State's just been named the preseason number one team in college football. They're playing the number two team, which will be Miami, in their very first game. We're flying you up to Tallahassee. I need you to get reaction. So I go up to Tallahassee. Again, I just moved there. I just moved here from uh, San Diego, California. So it's mid-August. I'm standing on a practice field in Tallahassee in the middle of August. In a suit. I've never been so miserable in my life. I've never been that hot. And it was, I I had gotten so sweaty and so gross that later in the day, I had to go to JCPenney's and buy clean shirts just so I could make it through the day. So as I'm standing on the sideline, I see a golf cart coming towards me. And it's Bobby Bowden. And I'm thinking, this is really cool. Bobby Bowden is coming to see me, introduce himself to me, and say, welcome to Florida. You know, this is really cool. So Bobby comes up, and Bobby asked me who I am. <laughs> I extend my hand, and I said, Bobby, my name's Al Keck. I'm a brand-new sportscaster in 
Tampa, Florida, and it's a pleasure for me to meet you. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Well, Bobby wasn't friendly. Again, they're getting ready to play Miami in the first game of the season. Okay. Preseason poll just comes out. Florida State's number one. Miami's number two. Bobby looks at me and he says, ain't you from Miami? Bobby was convinced that I wasn't a sportscaster, that I was an assistant coach with the Miami Hurricanes, and I was there spying on his practice. He throws me out of practice. He literally throws me out of practice. And here I am, I'm thinking, my first day at work, I have totally offended the nicest guy in the world and gotten kicked out of practice my very first day. So I leave practice, the PR people make some phone calls, and figured out that I was legit. I was who I said I was. And so they kind of smoothed everything over. And later in the day, I got an interview with, with Bobby. And Bobby apologized at that time and kind of understood. He asked me to for forgiveness uh, because he was just a little cranked up about this game. But I totally understood. But to this day, well, I mean, I've seen him over the years several times, play golf with him, all that kind of stuff. And every time he sees me, he extends his hand and he says, Ain't you from Miami? <laughs> well, hope you know, hopefully you know that Bobby Bowden is an incredible man of God. He did backslide that day when he kicked me out of practice. Oh, and by the way, Miami killed Florida State that day. We didn't want to hear that. Yeah. I'm not saying I had anything to do with that, but God was on my side that day. But Bobby tells it a great story about during his time as an athlete. He was a good athlete. He wasn't the biggest guy in the world. He was short, but he was very fast, very strong for his size. And one day he's playing baseball. He played uh, baseball and football at what was then Howard College, a small college in Birmingham. It's now Sanford College, or Sanford University. So one day Bobby's playing baseball against the Auburn Tigers. Big opportunity because it's, it's a game against an SEC team from your state, you know, a big, big, big game. So Bobby comes up to plate, and he laces a ball in the gap. He just rips it. And, uh, again, Bobby's fast, and he circles the bases, and he's motoring, he says, like you wouldn't believe. And he finally gets to third base, and he's seeing the coach at third base giving him this sign. So Bobby touches third base, and he's sprinting for home. He gets home, he slides, he's safe. And Bobby's going nuts. He just hit an inside-the-park home run against the big, bad Auburn Tigers. He jumps up. He is celebrating with his team. He's celebrating with his teammates. They're going to the dugout, slapping his back a whole bit. He looks out on the field, and he sees the pitcher. pitcher's got the ball in his hand, steps off the mound, throws to first base. First baseman catches it, touches first base. Umpire calls him out. It was nothing more than a big, long, exciting out for Bobby Bowden because Bobby Bowden didn't touch first base. He was called out. So Bobby says, that is like our walk with following Jesus. He calls Jesus first base. He calls home plate heaven. So he says, in order to be safe at home, you have to touch first base. And you have to touch Jesus Christ. So there you have it. Amen. Family, forgiveness, 
and first base, family. The way you father will affect generations fivefold down the line. Forgiveness. Don't be right. Be there. And, for, and uh, first base. Never forget to touch first base in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Please have these men forgive me for not giving them this warm, fuzzy, feel-good type of story. Rather, like you say in Romans 8.28, I'm paraphrasing here, use my heartbreak for the good of those who love you. And Lord, one more thing. Thank you for the bacon. In God's great name, amen.